You may be seated.
Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Roxy. It's a great truth. People need the Lord. Every single person who has ever breathed needs the Lord. And we are here today as a testimony that we need the Lord. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be studying verses 6 to 13. We in America have a lot of amazing blessings that we are surrounded by, that we are drenched in. We here at Calvary Bible Church worship in a beautiful building that we were able to remodel the sanctuary several years ago. And so now we have lights where we can see well. We have chairs that are comfortable that we can fall asleep in. We have a sound system where I don't have to yell and scream at you. I can just talk semi-normally and you can hear me. We're blessed. After service, we're going to get into our cars that work. And we're going to drive to our house. I'm going to get into my car that works and I'm just going to drive three blocks up. That's it. I could walk if I wanted to, but I'm too lazy. We're blessed with what we have. We're going to go and we're going to eat lunch out of adequately stocked pantries and refrigerators. We are so extremely blessed. Are we not? Yeah. We're blessed in that we have a live streaming option here in this church. That if someone doesn't want to come to service, they could just sit at home and ease their conscience and watch it online. If they can't come to church, they can sit at home and watch online and feel like they're part of it as they see all of us together and get that yearning of wishing they were with us, but they can't. But they get, they get kind of a band-aid over it because they can watch us worship. We're blessed with the technology that we have. All these blessings that we have are from God. However, Satan can use these blessings for his own gain. Sometimes when we are saturated, or as the title of my sermon says, drunk, when we are drunk on blessings, we forget what we desperately need because it seems like we have everything. Jesus talked of Mark chapter 8, verses 30 to 38 in a way that can be very much applied to us in America. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, Jesus calls the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he says, whoever wants to meet my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will use, lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Sometimes, when we are so blessed, we get so focused on the blessing and on the stuff, and we forget that we are so extremely close to losing our soul. 
in our excess, we must remember humility. Humility for the sake of the gospel. We must remember who we so desperately need. And that is what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 to 13. Paul says, our text, Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, all the things that he's writing about, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have what you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We were hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Paul urges the Corinthians in their life to remember who they desperately need and to embrace humility for the sake of the gospel. Before we continue, will you pray with me? Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who was and who is and who is forevermore, the one who in your heavenly throne looks down at us with mercy and grace and you shower down love, you shower down faithfulness, you shower down hope and joy. You shower down all the blessings that we take for granted every single day. Thank you for your mercy and your grace of giving these things that we do not deserve over and above what we need. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting you and those blessings. And teach us what it means to be constantly filled with a need of you and to live that need out in a humble life. Lord, give us wisdom to look at ourselves to where we are actually at and to acknowledge the truth and to have the courage to change and follow you in the life that you're calling us to lead. We need your help with that, Lord. Father, as I'm up here, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. So Paul urges the Corinthians to remember who they desperately need and to embrace humility for the sake of the gospel. First off, we're going to look at the proud. We're going to look at the proud, the opposite of humility. The Corinthians were proud. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being uh, in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? The Corinthians were puffed up because of which human teacher they were following. Those of you who have been around in this study of 1 Corinthians since the beginning of the year know that the Corinthian church were split right down the middle between those who were followers of the teacher Paul and those who were followers of the teacher Apollos. Both of them were orthodox, 
Both of them were teaching the right things from the Bible. They had different teaching styles. They had slightly different theologies. But on the main stuff, they were completely agreed. Both of them were able to lead someone in faith in Jesus Christ and teach them how to follow him in their life. But the Corinthians were saying, hey, look at me. I am better than John Webb because I'm a follower of Paul instead of Apollos. That's what they were saying. It's like us saying, hey, you walk in, you look and see, hey, which seat am I going to sit down? I know I'm going to sit on the side that the pastor sits on. And that means I'm more spiritual than all y'all over there. (laughs) It's amazing what we as humans will do to take pride in absurdities. Paul, however, cuts through their pride with some direct questions. He says, he asks them in verse 7, for who makes you different than anyone else? Who makes you different from anyone else, Corinthians? The Corinthians were presumptuous. They thought, hey, I must be better than these people over there. A good English embellishment of this question would be, who in the world do you think you are anyway? What kind of self-delusion is it that allows you to put yourself in a position to judge someone else? They believed, these Corinthians believed that they were super spiritual, that they were full of godly wisdom so that they could climb into God's judgment seat, cozy down, and look down their nose at everyone else and say, this is what's what. But we know that they're not that person. In fact, anyone who has the presumption to climb into God's judgment seat doesn't deserve to be there. What did Paul just say several verses ago? In verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he said to the Corinthians, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He is the one who will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. The Corinthians were presumptuous. They believed they were all that so that they could do the role of God with the other people in the church. Not only were they presumptuous, but they were ungrateful. Paul asks them in verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? One guy by the name of Gordon Fee says that this verse is an invitation to experience one of those rare, unguarded moments of total honesty where in the presence of the eternal God, one recognizes that everything, absolutely everything that one claims to have is merely a gift from him. The Corinthians looked at themselves and they said, look at me, look at me. I have these specific gifts of the Spirit and I'm able to do so many things with them. I'm able to understand deep truths of God. I'm able to speak well and do great things and I've worked hard at it. I've built up my mind and my knowledge base. I've practiced these gifts. I have done this. I have earned who I am. Therefore, I can turn around and use all these things that I have built myself up into to judge and condemn my brothers and sisters in Christ all because that they forgot that God gave them these gifts. God gave them these blessings. And the strings attached that he has is that we use them to help, not to tear down. They had a misunderstanding of grace, which caused them to be blinded to the fact that they as the Corinthians deserved nothing. Because none of us deserve anything. They were ungrateful. Their presumptuousness Their lack of gratitude caused them to be spiritually blind and lukewarm. Paul says in verse 8, Already you have all you want. 
Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign. Paul, tongue-in-cheek, says that these Corinthians are lucky. Already they're enjoying favors that the apostles dare only hope for. They no longer hunger and thirst after righteousness because they claim to be filled. They thought that the eternal kingdom which God was ushering them into was now. They had already been given their thrones because they in Corinth had a special spot of God's grace. And so the apostles danced in attendance and served them while the Corinthians are God's chosen. It's a sad place to arrive at when we are so filled in our pride so that we say, I do not hunger and thirst after righteousness anymore. I don't need Christ daily in my life because I have arrived. I'm good. I'm filled up. But that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were acting like they were already living in paradise, that God had already called them home. Perfection was theirs. They didn't need Jesus every single day. Well, when someone's presumptuous, when they're ungrateful, when they're spiritually lukewarm and blind, one really doesn't have a fruitful ministry, do you? The Corinthian church's pride had ruined their ministry. They were a large church, but they weren't growing anymore. They weren't reproducing through evangelism and church plants. They were content with their daily life of bickering and tearing each other apart because in their pride, they couldn't see for who they were. In their pride, they'd stop pursuing Christ. This bickering and tearing each other apart doesn't work in families. It doesn't work in churches. And we know what Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. The wise man said in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before fall. We know what Revelation said when Jesus gave his message to the church in Laodicea. He said in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, Revelation 3, 15 to 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Pride and all that goes through it does not produce a body of believers that shines like a city on a hill. What it produces is a group of believers that is a cesspool ready to be removed and scattered. Which is why Paul's about to write in the passage we're going to study in two weeks. In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. See where you are at, Corinthians, in your pride and thinking that you don't need Christ daily. See where you're at and change. We in America could heed this warning. Why are so many of our churches in America dying? It's because in our pride, we have declared that we have enough. We in the Midwest and West, the independent farmer and rancher, have provided everything that we need in life. We have built up our farms and ranches. We have provided for our families. We have done this. We have done that. If we lack anything, we can provide it ourselves. We have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But in saying that, we declare that we don't need Christ. This is the message of so many political candidates. If we want to make our state or our nation great again, we must look to ourselves and do what is necessary. We must vote for the right candidate who will do it himself. But in saying that, we are declaring that we don't need Christ. 
in our pride, we have refused to remember the God who has given us so much, including our salvation. In our pride, we have become shy in declaring that we owe God everything. We have stopped being in awe of his grace, so much so that our lives will change. We've become lukewarm and saying, I'm okay. We've stopped being in awe of his grace so that we don't care who hears how much we love him. We, don't, we start caring, saying, what will our family or friends or government officials think if they actually know who is everything to us? In our pride, we've convinced ourselves that we don't need God's grace and help daily. We've become swept up in our learning and our wisdom, forgetting what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness daily. We've allowed everything, all of our blessings, to bind us, blind us to the fact that we desperately need Christ daily, all day, every day. The Corinthians were proud. The Corinthians were proud. Before we move in and talk about Paul, who is humble, I need you all to pray for me. Because you see, something statistically interesting happens when a pastor reaches seven years or eight years at a church. There are two things that happen. First off, he gets burned out because he keeps going, 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 going until he reaches the point he can't go any further. And a lot of pastors will leave their church between years seven and eight because of that fact. But one reason why a pastor gets burnt out is he gets, starts getting proud. And he starts saying, look what I can do. Oh, there's a need here. I can do that. There's a need there. I can do that. And he starts letting all the needs of ministry overflow and overpower his need for Christ daily. And he lets all the work of ministry take up his special time to be with Christ every single day. So I've been here at this church six, six and a half years. Pray for me that God would keep pride from my life and that I would continue following the path that Paul is going to talk about, the path of humility, of daily, desperately needing Christ and not allowing anything to overpower that desperation. The Corinthians were proud. Paul was humble. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 9-13. 1 Corinthians 4, 9-13. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. And now he goes into a, a, a give and take, kind of a sarcasm, where he talks about who he is compared to the Corinthians' pride. He says, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. And then he goes into who he is in his humility. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. To the godly one, to the spiritually mature, to the one who realizes that they need desperately Christ every single day, humility is the only acceptable posture. 
the humble one remembers that God is the one who gives a wide variety of gifts on the basis of grace alone and is therefore alone deserving of grace and praise. But Paul goes even farther in this statement on humility. It's not just saying, hey, I want to remember that everything I have is from God. But he takes the Corinthians by the shoulders and he points them to the cross. He says, don't, don't just remember everything you have is from Christ, but remember that your whole life is to model him in your life. We've looked at the verses of Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, several times in the last few months, but listen to them again. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, speaking of Christ, he says, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself be becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Humility. Jesus' life was a life of humility. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says about this life of humility. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hindered us, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, in humility, embraced suffering and ridicule. He embraced pain, both emotional and physical pain, out of humility. Why? The author of Hebrews says, because of the joy that was set before him. He looked ahead in the future and said, something is coming that is giving me enough joy that I will live this life of humility, pain, and suffering because of that. The that, the author of Hebrews says, is sitting down at the right hand of God. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, when he continues on in this talking about Jesus' humility, says in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, his life of humility, knowing the joy that is coming, submitted in humility through pain suffering, and even death. Paul says in this passage in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I identify with Christ, the crucified one, in my humility, in my life. And I want all of my life to show everyone that is looking in Christ. And that's it. Paul, in doing this list of all the suffering that he has gone through, he's not bragging about his suffering. He's not saying that his life was a cakewalk full of kicks and giggles. He's not a fool to say that he is enjoying suffering. No, he was a pain. He'd rather not do it. But he is saying that as a follower of Jesus Christ, he is called to follow Jesus Christ, to follow the path of humiliation. Jesus Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago. He was perfection. He left the glories of heaven and everything we, that is totally awesome. 
in the full sense of the word. And he came down into our muck and our filth and our sin and our decay and our brokenness and our pain. And he lived among us, embracing it all, except for the sin, because there was no sin in him. And he marched in humility in a parade of constantly dying. The eternal God, from the minute his he was born, his body was submitted to decay, a constant dying until finally when he was 33 years, he literally walked that parade of death to the cross where he died for our sins. And Paul says, I want my life to show that same parade. I want everyone who sees my life not to see me, but to see Christ to know that my life is about the cross and the cross alone. Sure, God showers blessings on me, but I don't want any of these blessings to get in the way of the cross so that people will see him in me. To follow the path of humiliation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Christ suffered deprivation and defamation and Paul says his servants will too. Christ endured and responded with grace toward everything that was thrown at him and Paul says his servants should too. The Corinthians looked at Paul and said, Paul, you're a fool for what you're going through. Paul, you're not a good poster child of what a follower of Jesus Christ should be. Your humility is bringing you too much pain. That's what the Corinthians were saying. And Paul doesn't ridicule them. He says, yes, I know how people view me. People view me as scum, as garbage of the world. The words that he uses there for scum and garbage is the image of rotten food. I was a bachelor once. I know what happens in refrigerators that are not cleaned out. You walk in, you open it up, and all the way in back, there's this plate of something. And and you pick it up, and and you realize you don't want to eat it because of the stench. And so you, you take it far away from you, you take it to the trash, and you scrape it off, Throw the dish in the sink. No, never mind. You put the dish in the garbage. And you take the garbage, you throw it out the window and hope no one's down there. Paul says this is who the world views him as because of his stance of following Christ and having the cross shine through his life that people look at him as rotten food on a plate that needs to be scraped off. He feels like he's being roughly scraped off the face of the world. He says, yes, I know that's how people view me. I know that's what it feels like, and I'm not going to ridicule for what you say about me. Because when cursed at, I'm going to bless the people. And when slandered, I'm going to answer kindly. Because I want the message of the cross to shine through me. My life is not about me. My life is about the cross. Paul says, a true follower of Jesus Christ, we realize that he needs Christ desperately. And he, as a true follower of Christ, will live in humility so that Christ, the one that I so desperately need, the one that you so desperately need, will shine through. Jesus said, whoever wants me and my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Through this passage, Jesus brings out the concept again and again and again, living in humility, embracing suffering and pain for the joy that is coming. And so for the joy that is coming, Paul takes up his cross. He identifies with Christ. He embraces the suffering that comes with it. He lives the humble life. And what happened? We know what's happening with the Corinthian church and their pride. It is crumbling apart. It is dying. Paul, in his humility, in his understanding that he needs Christ daily and he wants Christ to shine through him daily, he started at least 20 churches in his life. He influenced countless more. He trained up elders and pastors to lead those churches who turned around and started more. He wrote most of the New Testament. He faithfully lived his life in all the situations God brought him to, including preaching the gospel in Caesar's household because he was there in chains. He said, I'm using everything to show Christ. And as we follow Christ in obedience, identifying with him in suffering and humility, he shines through us and he brings through us fruit in keeping with repentance. The Corinthians were proud. Paul was humble. Which do we want to be? We all have a choice every single day, whether to live in pride and say we don't need Christ or to live in humility and say we do, whether to embrace the culture around us or to embrace the culture of the cross. We've talked about pride in America already, and we know where it's taking us. What does it look like to have a life of humility, to identify with Christ? Well, let's look at some case studies. Let's think about a kid growing up in a family with his or her parents. We're blessed to have some great families in our church that are solid. They're sinful, but they're solid. But that may not always be. There might be some kids who come to Calvary Bible Church someday who don't have parents that know and love Jesus. And that child will have a choice whether to follow Christ or to follow the parents. And what is that child going to do? I've worked with international students in the past who have accepted Christ. They say, I want to follow Jesus and I trust him for my salvation and nothing else. And they come to the point to follow him in baptism and to make that public declaration that they are followers of Jesus Christ and they stop and they say, wait a minute, what's this going to do? Because my parents have told me, you know, I can do whatever I want to in the closed room. I can say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ as long as I don't tell anyone. I can live a good moral life as long as I don't tell them it's because of Jesus. As long as on the outside I'm a Mormon or a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist or all these other things, it's fine of what I believe on the inside. But they told me the moment they take that step of baptism and publicly declare that they're a follower of Jesus Christ, their parents are going to disown them. And they have to make that decision. Are they going to follow Christ? Or are they going to follow their parents? Which is it going to be? And these kids chose to be baptized. They chose to accept that life of suffering and humility because Christ suffered for them. I remember when I sensed the call to ministry. After praying a bunch and talking to my pastor, I then told my parents and my family, I said, hey, I think God's calling me to become a pastor. I'm grateful that my parents were completely on board. 
But I have pastor friends whose parents were not completely on board who still hate them to this day because they are a follower of Jesus Christ and they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told some people who were pretty close to me about my decision to follow this call to ministry and I had one person who I respected a lot rather vocally said that he was against my decision and that hurt. Sometimes a child must humbly follow Christ in obedience rather than his parents. And a good Bible-believing church can have a hard time with that concept sometimes. Because as a Bible-believing church, we preach that we are to obey our parents and we're to honor them. But the time is coming and is very soon when a child is going to be forced to choose between obeying parents or obeying Christ. And the child must choose Christ. And we as a church must be prepared to come around that child and give them the strength to humbly live that life of suffering. Let's look at a kid in school. This case study isn't too hard to imagine because it is happening. Every kid in school must make a decision whether to humbly follow in Christ or to act in pride against Christ. I can clearly see I've interacted with kids who felt like they are the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world and they're surrounded by that feeling all day, every day. And when you're surrounded by that feeling all day, every day, it's hard to imitate Christ. It's hard to bless those who curse you and answer kindly those who slander you. It's easier to lash out in anger and fight. But that's not what we're called to do. We're to remember that we're followers of Christ. He is the one we desperately need, not the approval of those around us. It is Him and we get to join him in that suffering. It's also easier to condemn those around us, to look at Christians who may not be living right and think, oh, we're so much better than them because of what we're doing. Yeah, they're bowing to peer pressure, but we're not, and have the pride. It's also easy to do what they're doing and just slide under the radar, to keep our Christian standards hidden, to just try to survive. But that too is not what we're called to do. A kid must make the choice whether they're a Christian first or a school kid first. And that kid must make the decision to humbly follow Christ in obedience no matter the cost, no matter how they feel. And when a kid does this, I've talked to them, they are ridiculed. They lose out on rewards. Sometimes they're not able to play the sports like they want to play it. Their grades might suffer. They may not have friends. They may not be chosen to be on the honor roll because of stands they take for Christ. But even if they don't have all those blessings that we might consider blessings, they have Christ. And he is the one that we desperately need. And the gospel will shine through that kid and one child, one kid, might want to know Christ because of the constant humility that is displayed in front of them. Humility for the sake of the gospel. It's getting hard to be a kid these days. And I've talked with so many of you who are worried about your kids and grandkids and your great-grandkids that are coming because of the challenges they're going to go through. That's one of the reasons why we have the Youth Partner Program. Shameless advertisement, sorry. It's so that we can step alongside these kids who are having a hard time to be a follower of Jesus Christ in these schools. And we can give them the strength that they need. So if you are afraid for your kids and your grandkids, and you have that burden in you for them, we should have a line at the sign-up sheet for Youth Partner Program this fall 
to help out these kids and give them the strength that they need. Let's talk about adults. Say this adult is married and has kids. It's a blessing to be part of a family who knows Christ and tries to follow Christ. Some families don't have that blessing. One parent might be the only one in their family that is a follower of Jesus Christ. And that parent has a choice of what they will do in their family. Will they constantly live out their faith in front of the rest of the family or are they going to bow to pressure? Several weeks ago we talked about endurance. And it takes endurance to faithfully live one's faith out next to someone who doesn't have that faith. There are many people here in this room who know what that is like, who have seen the endurance that is needed, who have felt the pain, who have experienced the struggle. What does it mean to live in humility for the sake of the gospel? It means to constantly pursue a relationship of Jesus Christ as first priority because it is him that we desperately need. Studying one's Bible and praying daily because it is him that we need. Yes, we would love to have a partner that is in the same stage of spiritual maturity than we are. That would be great, but it is Christ that we need. It means practically living out one's faith, loving and respecting one's spouse regardless of who or she is, regardless of who or she what he or she said or did. It means not reacting with pride against them because of any perceived sinfulness in them, allowing the Holy Spirit to work on them and we ourselves working on our own sin, making sure with our walk with Christ is strong because it is Christ that we need. Sometimes we might face ridicule for wanting to go to church or reading our Bible too much or praying too much, or what we pray about, all that sort of stuff. But that's when humility comes in. Faithfully identifying with Christ and his suffering so that he might shine through us. Realizing that life is not about how our spouse views us, but about whether we are faithfully following our Savior. Let's talk about adults with our peers. Everyone still with me? Good. Let's talk about adults with peers. We're to walk in humble obedience to Christ for the sake of the gospel. We as humans do not like to be considered scum. Anyone here like to be considered scum? Anyone? <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> we don't like to be considered scum. And truthfully, so many of us, we probably have never truly felt like we are garbage because of our faith. Some of us might have experienced some of it, but we've never truly felt that. Perhaps it's because we live in America Perhaps it's because we live in Nebraska. Perhaps maybe it's an indictment on our spiritual life. Gordon Fee wrote this, Perhaps if we were truly more like our Lord, standing more often in opposition to the status quo with its worldly wisdom, and more often in favor of justice, we too would know more about what it means to be scum in the eyes of the world's beautiful or powerful people. In any case, we greatly need to recapture Paul's view of the end of the world so that neither wealth nor want terrorizes us. It is for us to humbly follow Christ, to stand up for what is right biblically, in a biblical way, so that the gospel might shine through us. We all have parts of the Christian life that we let slide. Perhaps it, it's not setting aside a day for God to say, God, this is your day, that I'm going to focus on you, 
and then we let everything else in life overrun it. Perhaps it's subjects we talk about or jokes we laugh at. Maybe it's things we look at. Maybe it's not sharing our faith. We all have parts of the Christian life that we let slide because we are not humbly following Christ. But if we were humbly following Christ, the gospel would shine through us because we'd start going through suffering. We might lose friends if we were truly humbly following Christ. We might lose reputations. We might lose our job. But through it all, the gospel would shine through us and we would have Christ because he is the one we desperately need. Humility is that life is not about us, but about our king. Can I walk into some very dangerous ground? Will you allow me to do that? Can I talk about politics? Are you okay with that? Did everyone leave their stones and their rotten tomatoes in the back? What does it mean to humbly follow Christ for the sake of the gospel in the realm of politics? It means that we are not defined by a political party or a political candidate. We cannot stand up and say, hey, I'm a Republican Christian, or hey, I'm a Democratic Christian. It means that we're Christians, and that's it. We can't stand up and say, hey, that's the Christian candidate, because that guy's a sinner. We are defined by Christ and by him alone. It means that we support candidates based upon what the Bible says is true or accurate, not what our supposed party tells us. It means that we hold all candidates to the standard of what the Bible says is true and accurate. Even candidates who are popularly supported by our best friends or even our family. Even when holding these candidates to these standards might cause us to be voted off the island or called horrible names included traitor to our party. It means that we humbly fellowship with people because they claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, not because they believe the same that we do, politically speaking. In fact, we search out those who might believe differently, politically speaking, but they, we share the same faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that one day we will stand shoulder to shoulder with this person in paradise, and it didn't matter which check they put on their ballot. We confess through it all that we do not have everything together, but we know the one who does, and he is the one we desperately need. The bottom line is we do not place our faith in a human. We do not place our faith in our intellect and our ability to reason. Our faith is in Christ. We need him. We desperately need him. And the world around him, us, needs him. They don't need a candidate. They don't need a party. They need Christ. And we get to show the need of the world around us by revealing our need and living in humility for the sake of the gospel, declaring to the world around, I need Christ and him alone. He is the one that gets me through the day. We are blessed, so blessed in America. And we can stand up and say that our blessings are slowly being taken away from us. And yes, that might be true. 
but instead of fighting and screaming for our rights in a proud, belligerent way, we are to take the opportunity to remember the one we so desperately need, that the life that we have been allowed to live for this long has been blessings from God, but they're just blessings. What we need is Christ. So let us walk in humility for the sake of the gospel so the world around might know that it is him we desperately need. Will you pray with me? Father, you are our heart's cry. You are the one who we desperately need. You are the one who is able to take broken things and bring beauty out of it. You are the one who is able to take our sinful lives and remold them into a way that shines your glory. You are the one who is able to give us strength to live through pain and suffering and able to change that pain and suffering so the gospel is revealed in a beautiful way and you're able to make your glory so sweet to those around us through us. Thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would not allow the blessings in our life to cloud us to remember, from remembering that you are the one we need. Lord, teach us every day to have that cry, to live in humility and point others to you. Thanks, Father. Amen. Make your hymnals and stand again and turn to number 440.